Hello everybody and welcome to the Besides the Norm podcast. My name is Skewer, we have Monk at the other side of the table. How are you doing my friend? What is happening? I don't know why I do that with my Why voice. are we doing this weird, so weird. Uh, We have a great podcast today. And this is the first time we've been able to actually mention that it's actually Science Month. Yes, because we had we had no idea in the past. <laughs> we pre-recorded uh, three science podcasts and then after that we were like, that's three in a row. Uh, we could do a month probably yeah. if we get something else. And we do have a somebody else. Yes. Uh, how are you doing, Sam? I'm all right. All the better for seeing. All the better. For, oh, well, I'm seeing you. All the better for hearing you in this yeah. audio-visual medium. <laughs> audio, <laughs> whatever, whatever. Yeah, I'm good. How are you, boy? We are fantastic. How do you feel about being your ex or somebody else? It, it feels wonderful. It, it's very upsetting to you know be playing fourth fiddle, but at least I've made the orchestra. That's, well, that's how I'm good. looking at it. So, always yeah. me. Technically, you were fifth. <laughs> we booked him first. He's just there. Thanks, pal. <laughs> <laughs> just to just to dampen the mood a little bit more. <clears throat> so, oh, crikey! Would you like to intro yourself for for our listeners? If you even want to still do this, <laughs> yeah. You're like, fuck you guys. I'm off. <laughs> Just look, I've just disconnected. No, of course I can. Uh, I'm Sam, uh, and I'm I'm an evolutionary biologist who studies how skulls and jaws have have evolved over the last 350 million years. Damn, that's a long time. Quite a while. It's a long time. It's a very long time. It's it longer than lockdown. Contrary to to popular <laughs> belief, yes, longer than lockdown. So first things first. Why are you lying to the world and pretending that evolution is real? Okay, so when I was a little boy, uh, I, I had the the opportunity um, to to go on holiday um, to, to California. And while I was there, uh, I was inducted into the harem of uh, George Soros and uh, Bill Gates. And and they said to me, um, well, they they said to me that I could never see my family again unless I perpetuated. Uh, the lies that, that, that they've been peddling in the media. And so, you know, yeah. as a, a lonely young boy with very few friends, I thought, well, all I've got is my mom and pa, and I, I, I might as well just, just commit to this. And since then, I've been shilling out for the Soros Foundation. Nice. Perfect. Awesome. So actually, is that too political? Is that too problematic? Not for us, I can... Not for us, that's no. perfect for Not our podcast. Absolutely brilliant, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's real. Yeah, it's real, obviously. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah, I'd never, I'd never lie. Bill Gates has chipped what four million people in the UK yeah, already. And he's like in the middle of it right now, just like yep. chipping away. <laughs> chipping away. Nine, chipping I, away. Last I heard. Is it nine million? Nine million. Dude. Yeah. Jesus. Because they're out on the streets at this point. I mean, that's more than one in ten people. If you want to chip people, of of course you get the old people who are in homes first, mm-hmm. because they're never inside. Well, yeah. yeah. They're always just gallivanting. But it's- a lot of sex it's a good test drive as well, really. Because yeah. if, if your chip malfunctions and you lose a few of them along the way, no one's going to question it, are they? It's just COVID, isn't it? That's Whereas true. if it's a young person gallivanting about, has an accident, they go, could be, could be Billy G. Good point. He's made, it, he's made a valid point. This is why we, we interview scientists, <laughs> because they make yeah. fantastic yeah. contributions to serious topics like this. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. Second question. <laughs> if we evolved from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? <laughs> oh fuck you! Uh, reasons. Yeah. There. Yeah. 
not offensive. I'll okay, right. there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so you which universe? Uh, I'm. Uh, mm. So it's, 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 I'm going to be honest, it's really raining outside and it's, it's putting me off because it's banging off the wall and our house is made of fucking polystyrene. I feel so like... you can feel every yeah. bit of rain and it's really thrown me off. You went to university. Which university did you go to? Uh, first university I went to was it was Imperial College London in uh, London. Uh, and um, now I'm at, I'm at the University of Cambridge. Okay. And you're still there? I'm still there. Yeah. yeah. So you just say that. Right. I uh, are you so are you a student or a researcher? So I am. I am a postgraduate researcher, which means I've, I've done my undergrad, um, and now I I am doing research, but I'm I'm not a doctor. But one day in many years' time, I I might be. So you could be Doctor Sam. We'll, we'll see what happens. I could be Doctor Sam. We'll get you back. Um, which for is an sad update, because there's a an update even. Yeah. <laughs> Science Month next year. You're like, oh, yeah. it's Doctor Sam. Oh, well, Science Month in four years. It's <laughs> Doctor Sam. Oh, is it four years until you get the doctorate? <laughs> yeah. So what? Well, so I'm doing a, an MPhil, which is like a, a year before a, a PhD, and then hopefully I'll do a, I'll do a PhD after. But we'll we'll see what happens there because you know there's only so much evolution to discover, and if someone else has finished it by then, then it's all over, isn't it? That's what I was going to ask. Like, how, how long you actually study to do that? Because like. There is only a certain amount you could learn. The thing is, you've got 350 million years uh, of, of stuff to study if you study bony animals like me. And I yeah. think uh, th- there's plenty to go around for the minute, um, which is useful, uh, especially because the, the thing I actually study is uh, it's a very new system to be studying. So I, I study evolution in these fish called cichlids, and um, uh, which are a group of fish in Africa, and there's about, like, well about 6,000 maybe, uh, or 3,000. We're not entirely sure exactly how many of these there are, but um, the benefit is they're all really closely related, uh, but they're all like really like morphologically, like their bodies are really different from each other. Um, and so this is like a, a subfield that's only recently really opened up. So there's a lot to study, thankfully, because um, I, I would like to, to get a PhD and have a job one day. Um, and, and there's not many jobs, but when there's... 2,500 to 6,000 of these fish to study. Hopefully there's at least one there for me. That, well, the, the point I was trying to make before was that um, like you sort of learn the theory behind everything that you're doing like, to get your PhD. Yeah. And then afterwards is the sort of more interesting part, I would say, because you get to do a study and then you get to find out new shit as you, as you keep going along. Yeah, but doing a PhD, you're already finding out the the new stuff because um, okay. so because it's all like research based. You basically have so you you put forward a problem, you propose a problem that you want to address, and then you address it in a way that no one else has tried yet. And then after three years, you publish whatever you found. And then if you've done a good enough job, <clears throat> then they'll say, "Cool, now you're a doctor, and you can go out into the world and try and and keep doing that um, for for more money." Because PhD students don't don't get paid very much, which is yeah, that's news to me right away because, like, I, again, I'm like high school uh, learning from this guy, yeah. uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's pretty much what happened there. There you go. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a weird thought to think that you're doing exactly the same job as a PhD student and as a fully qualified doctor of evolutionary biology. And it's just a case Ex- of getting paid more. Exactly. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess their argument is like you're not qualified yet. But the other thing is that you could be doing the exact same job as a like a, a researcher in a university as you'd be doing in industry, and you get paid a fraction of the money. It's balmy. You academics, they are they get paid nothing. And when considering that they're not qualified till they're like twenty eight, probably in most cases twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, they they finally become a doctor, and your salary caps out quite quickly. Yeah, it's not necessarily a good financial decision to move into academia. But yeah, as you're saying, it's it's exactly the same job potentially as a PhD student compared to like being a proper a proper researcher. And that's why there's so many shells because they're not paid enough <laughs> to do the proper jobs. Exactly. So you've got to take the money from George Soros yeah. uh, in order to produce all those genetically modified organisms and you know mess around with the fabric of reality and evolution because it's just the only thing that pays, yeah. So how many different... Uh, I don't know how to ask this because it, it might be the wrong words I'm using, but how many different no, right, fields right. of evolutionary biology are there? Like, how do you choose to study a specific type of fish? Crikey. Um, so that, I think really what it comes down to is like how many ways are there to address the problem of evolution? Right. Um... And historically, uh, so the way people used to do it really was by looking at animals that are alive now and trying to uh, basically dissecting them down to potentially their skeleton or looking at their muscles um, or just their organs to, to try and compare them. Um, and this is called like comparative anatomy and it was really popular in like the 17th century, um, 18th century, early 19th century. Because, you know, if, if you look at two animals, for example, <clears throat> and they have similar teeth, well, you can maybe assume they're related to each other, or at the very least, they like do a similar thing. Um, but uh, that slowly eventually went out of favour because we realised, well, like, all right, bats and, and birds both have wings, but they're not related to each other. Bats are mammals, birds are birds. Um, so people then, at the same time, were sort of looking at paleontology, uh, and, and this is similarly like that comparative anatomy thing that like you find bones, you compare the bones and try and piece together like the puzzle of life from that. But they're quite like subjective. And as I said, like you end up with these overlaps between different species that have similar traits, but aren't evolutionary related to each other. Um, then there was a, a new field or a newer field called developmental biology. And this is to some extent what I do. And what that was, was you take uh, the embryos of animals and you study how their embryos develop over time. Um, and based on similarities in how they develop when certain things arise or how they, how they appear, you can then begin to perhaps make uh, assumptions about how things tessellate together. But all of this realistically is, is before Darwin publishes his, his theory of evolution by natural selection. Um, but Darwin's theory, and I, I, I say this a lot, but Darwin's theory wasn't necessarily taken up by all scientists until uh, actually in the tw- early 20th century, uh, when these scientists come along and they pair his ideas with Mendel's ideas of genetics. Um, and then, you know, we can, under, we can say, oh, evolution is probably accurate because now we know what the unit of heredity, the, the thing that's passed down from parents, their offspring to make them similar is genes. Um, and so you have this field of genetics come up and arguably now most evolutionary studies now look at genomes or genes or genetics generally. But arguably, it's still its own field. So, so you have all these separate disciplines. You have paleontology looking at fossils. Um, you have uh, developmental biologists who look at how animals develop. And then you have um, like geneticists. 
Um, and and yeah, really, those are the three fields. And then within those, you have well, what animals and what what things do you want to study? Do you want to study insects? Do you want to study crustaceans, so crabs and lobsters, or maybe you want to study plants or fungi or bacteria, or in my case, uh, vertebrate animals and bones. So yeah, there's there's a lot of places to go. And I think your question was about how do you decide which one you want to go into. And uh, for me, it's that when I was a kid, I loved going around aquariums. I just found something really relaxing about it. Um, so yeah, and so I was like, well, you know, I'm interested in evolution. I'm interested in development and genetics. And I went, well, fish are kind of cool. And um, they're chilled out and I don't feel quite so bad about, about killing them. So there's that as well. <laughs> it's, it's quite useful. I don't mind fish fingers, but occasionally a steak, I'm like, uh well the benefit of fish fingers is fish fish don't need fingers so actually you're you're doing them a favor That's by eating point. them great point my question was really like so I'm, I'm so outside of the realm of of real scientific education uh, i love science mm. but i'm really i'm i'm not good at it and I've never been trained in it or anything. So what I was asking was, yeah. at high school and second year for us, I don't know what the years are in, in England, but uh, we chose yeah. physics, uh, chemistry and biology. And then you obviously chose mm. biology and then went into evolutionary biology. And then you had to choose something. Is it just a case of you saying, I wanted to study fish, so I'm going to study fish? Or is there a choice of you can study these things, these mm. things, these things? Okay. Yeah. So, so during, during my undergraduate degree, um, I, I spent, so there's obviously other kinds of biology. I specialize in evolutionary biology and I just found over time, I was just really interested in how like bony animals came about in the first place. Cause obviously when, when you think of an animal, you think of probably something cute and cuddly, a mammal or maybe a bird, dinosaurs or fish. And all of these are connected. They're all bony animals. Um, and I was really interested in that. And then for me, it was just that I, I really, I really always liked fish. And so I just naturally gravitated towards that. Um, yeah, it, I think most people just during like studying everything at university, eventually find something that tickles their fancy. Um, and yeah. You said it was a specific that answered it, type I, of fish. A specific type of fish. Um, not really. I, the reason cichlids are really interesting is cichlids, course, there's so many of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these, these cichlids, what's interesting, as I said, is there's so many of them that they're, they're really closely related because they've evolved over a really short period of time. And in, in this lake in East Africa called Lake Victoria, there's like 800 of these have evolved over the course of 15,000 years, which on evolutionary timescales is basically completely unprecedented. And so because of, because it's such a short timescale, they're genetically really similar. You can mate different species together and produce hybrids that can reproduce. So okay. whether or not they're even really separate species is another kettle of fish, but they, they are so morphologically, like uh, aesthetically, they look so different from each other, like just, just their jaws. Some of them have like jaws like sharks that are really long and designed for like swimming around quickly and catching other fish. And then there's others that have like got really short stubby jaws and they just like scrape algae off rocks. Um, and so they're, they're just a really, really interesting group of animals in which you can study evolution because they're, they're so different from each other, but also so closely related. So, so what actually makes makes cichlids a, a, th a, a th specific thing? What makes them like a species? Yeah. Or like a group? Uh, um, what's the difference? 
what, what's the difference between them and other fish? Yeah, a species and a group. Okay, so basically, uh, so um, <laughs> this gets into some like very philosophical science. <laughs> like realistically, what is, it, like what is a species? Me. Okay, so a, a species and the easiest way to is a species is a group of animals. Okay, it's a kind of animal or a kind of plant that can reproduce within itself but can't reproduce with animals outside of it okay, okay. And, and there are lots of reasons why they might not reproduce it could be that like they're genetically incompatible and if they produce offspring they are so like disabled that they they die very rapidly it could be that they're genetically incompatible and their offspring are inviable they can't produce more babies um or it could be that they're like isolated from each other and therefore like there's a mountain in between them they can't reproduce so they're just they're just like starting to become different and then eventually over time they'll be so different they're genetically incompatible um but yeah they're like like separate populations from each other and then when when we talk about biological groups they operate at lots of different levels but the level above a species is what we call a genus and this is a group of spe a group of species like different ones that all evolved from like a single common ancestor and then above that we we can go up to higher delineations so eventually like a kingdom and a kingdom is like the plant kingdom the fungal kingdom the animal kingdom um so yeah it's just a way that i think biologists and evolutionary biologists try to group animals together because we like order and we like to know how things work mm -hmm. okay I like that study as well. Like you said, was it fifteen thousand years between like each evolutionary stage or something? You said there, is that right? So, 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 so between these cichlids, yeah, there's there's eight hundred of them that have evolved in fifteen thousand years. Yeah. Which normally, like, you're looking at millions of years for like new species to appear, and these guys are just like whatever. Um, <laughs> cool. I'm now like a different colour. I've got a different face. Or oh, look at me. I. I now like look after my, my babies in my mouth until they're old enough to swim off. And there's another fish that's like, that looks kind of yummy. And so they develop these like lips that are basically like a suction cup and they attach it to the mouth of a female and they just suck all of the food, all of the babies out of it and eat them. Jesus. It's like, it's, it's mad. It's absolutely savage. But the, yeah, these, these animals, and we don't know why cichlids evolve so quickly, but for some reason they do. I just, I, I like the idea. Is there anything else that like, breeds that quickly that you can get like quick generations like uh, plants are sort of easy to go through generations they do that really quickly um is there any other yeah, like, animals so, or fish like that so obviously with with, with cichlids it's not so much a matter of like breeding quickly but it's like maybe there's something in their genome that just like makes them mutate faster right. um with regards to like animals that like or things that evolve really quickly the most obvious examples would be bacteria and viruses yeah. because they they reproduce so quickly so bacteria reproduce really really quickly which gives them the opportunity you know every time they reproduce their dna they might introduce a mutation and if that mutation is a good one then uh then that new strain that's mutated will start to perform better and then it becomes like the dominant one with viruses uh, similarly they reproduce really really quickly but because of the way they reproduce they like purposefully produce mutations yeah. So like most animals sort of try to avoid them because the vast majority of mutations are, are bad. They're what we call deleterious. They like will produce disabilities or they'll, um, they'll uh, reduce your, your quality of life or rather, rather than your quality of life, your ability to reproduce. But in viruses, they're like, well, no, we want to mutate because they're essentially just like single strands of, of DNA or, or RNA, which are both like ways of carrying genes and genetic information. And they're like, well, if we mutate really quickly and like we produce 20 million viruses and in one in 
10 cases we produce a mutation. That's a lot of mutations. It's a lot of genetic potential to like produce a better virus. And that's why when we're like, I hate to talk about coronavirus, but when we're looking at coronavirus in the news today, they were saying how, um, oh, this, this like Kent variant has independently produced the same mutation we're seeing in Brazil because these yeah. viruses just, just, when given the chance, they just evolve so quickly, um, at like a scale that within like, bigger animals or within animals or within like other actual living things because whereas whether viruses are alive or dead is a different question um but it's just impossible to replicate that so quick question we actually had a yep. virologist on the podcast and i forgot to ask this Ooh. question and uh, i feel a bit annoyed by that now but i'm going to ask you because i assume you might know uh, is it accurate to assume that a mutation of a virus could very more often than not make the virus less deadly as opposed to more deadly because it needs to Absolutely. live for longer. So, uh, so when you look at a virus, it's uh, what like a so, uh, for example, will RNA viruses just have like a, a strand contained within that, that codes a few genes? Okay, and the genes it codes will be it, it codes to like produce a coat around it, which is a bit like sort of a tank. Um, it, it protects it from things that will try to destroy it, and then it will it will code for potentially like something to help it reproduce, and then it will code for like a third gene, which is called a spike protein. And these spike proteins are what let the virus get into cells. Now, if they produce a mutation that makes the spike protein not do its job, then obviously it, it's producing a, a virus that's less effective. And to be honest, most mutations probably do nothing or make things worse. But when you've got like a hundred million viruses, or for example, when it, when the virus is in you, right, there's millions of copies of it, and if it infects like three million people, that's like a millions times three million. Like we're, we're talking billions, trillions of viruses, and so even if the vast majority of mutations are bad, deleterious, uh, like I said earlier, all it takes is for one to be to be better, and when you've got like three trillion opportunities to do that, then it's highly likely you're going to produce something. And because they reproduce so quickly, then it doesn't matter if most of them are bad. As long as a few are good, then they're going to be successful and, and keep on going. Mm -hmm. awesome. uh, I had a question while we were going through the last thing about uh, mutations and stuff. Um, mm. What are... So, <laughs> I'll just ask. Um, what are the most likely... Um, and I added to this as well. What are the most likely human uh, mutations? It, like, is there any evidence for like any future mutations? Like right now. Um, so I, I'm just going to briefly have a think because I I can remember some. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, the most likely human mutations are probably cancers. In the um, nice. so when when you, it's horrible, but um, essentially what a cancer is is so cells normally you know reproduce and then die eventually, um, and this is really tightly regulated to make sure that your body basically stays in the shape it should be functions in the way it should but um and it's regulated by genes generally but when those regulatory genes get mutated then they stop working quite so well and so your cells can reproduce too quickly they can just say no i'm not going to die uh or they can re reproduce in like weird ways they shouldn't and those are some of the ways that cancers form and those are I guess the most obvious and probably the most common mutations we'll encounter in our lives, because I, I can't name anyone who doesn't know someone who's had cancer at some point. 
Um, with regards to like evolutionary mutations, um, it, it's it's probably that actually in I don't know if it's necessarily a mutation, but the thing is probably over time people will likely get more attractive, right? Because at the end of the day, the way evolution works is you produce a mutation and then if that makes you have more kids, then that's a successful mutation and then your kids will have more kids and their kids will have more kids. And so the gene or the mutation starts to spread through the population. And so the easiest, uh, the easiest kind of mutation to, to spread is anything tied to sexual selection, mm-hmm. anything that makes someone who wants to breed with you more attracted to you and therefore you're more likely to have more children is, is probably going to be the fastest kind of mutation to spread. Oh, thank um, you. So perhaps I, I don't, I don't know what you guys are, are into, but um, <laughs> perhaps well, you like, you like ladies with, with red hair or maybe you, you like, I, I don't know. We, we won't necessarily get into this. I don't know if this is going on the iTunes explicit list or not, but um, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, then if that, that common like is shared across the population, then over time, it's likely that it will become more common because, See, yeah. And if it's caused by mutation, then that mutation becomes more common. Because I was going to suggest uh, the mutation has already kind of started happening. If you look at anybody from the 80s and 90s <laughs> and anybody now, mm. they look fucking horrific. <laughs> Is that just more affordable cosmetic surgery, though? No, 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 no. If you look at some of the people... No, no they, were, no. they were just minging. <laughs> they were just minging in the 80s. It was just... as, a style, as a style thing. As, cause, cause, I think brains have got better. if you think like, everybody in the 80s had a big, huge mental moustache and Mullet they all looked... And silly perms and that. Everybody that was 12-year-old looked 43. Mm. It, it was horrible. <laughs> so that's the mutation already started, and you, so you must be correct on that. Proof of evolution, yeah. Right there. So I don't, I don't know if I like the idea of there being a more common idea of attractiveness because we're already sort of stuck in a in a world where there's a, a an official form of pretty, and that comes in guys and yeah. girl form, and then anybody who's yeah. out with that is sort of like depressed and like really upset about life and shit, and it's just can't get that... anybody to listen to their podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if, and if that gets any worse, it's just it doesn't need to be thinking about. I'm quite I'm quite happy mm. about being the ugly guy. You know. Do you think it will get like more like uh, symmetry based? Like like a more symmetrical face will become the more. You need that. because I like I've had a stroke yeah, a lot of the time, so <laughs> I need more symmetry. There's there's a weird thing that I think. Oh, I can't remember where it was a few years ago, but as people get more symmetrical, right, they get more attractive. But past a certain point, symmetry starts to like get a bit weird. So if people are too symmetrical, most people find it a little bit, a little bit creepy. Actually, yes, so like most people, like one of their symmetry. eyes. Sorry. Mm, yeah, but like one of their eyes is normally like a little bit lower than the other. You know, I, I can't see you at the minute, but yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you, you look lovely. No. Um, Okay, I'm not sure, but I, I hope that one day you can feel you do. Um, <laughs> the thing about people becoming more attractive is I think it's like a cultural element as well. Like in, um, well, obviously, like what in the 16th century, being overweight was seen as being attractive because it indicated you were wealthy. Um, now, that's not necessarily something that's genetically selected for, but like uh, perhaps in, I don't know, Ireland, they find people with red hair really attractive. Or um, like maybe well. like, and because of that, within certain like like subpopulations, it's 
not the best way to say it, but within like certain cultural groups, certain genes might become more frequent because that's what like society teaches you is attractive as well as it being genuinely attractive. Because there are some genetic things that are like, oh, this trait makes you more fertile. Like you are more likely to have children and produce lots of children as a yeah. female. And therefore, um, whatever's tied to that, uh, like a marker of fertility, males tend to be more attracted to. But I think a lot of other stuff is more cultural. Um, mm. But yeah, like I, I think in the long term, people will, I guess, get more, more attractive. Um, but whether that's because we have more access to, you know, like uh, fixing dental issues, like brace, using braces or um, therapies for like physical conditions or whatever else. Um, yeah, I think there's like a cultural element tied into the actual like evolution because evolution happens over a really, really long, long period of time. Yeah. So in an ideal world, it's going to be basically more goths in future. Goth is much who's more goth. Is that your type? Yeah. Are you, are you the chap who's been harassing all of my all of my goth friends online? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. What was I going to ask? Sorry, you had a question and I uh, jumped in twice. Oh no, I've totally lost. And I'm sorry. This is meant to be a serious podcast, Stephen. Is it? We've got an, a, a a qualified biologist here. And we're talking about goths. We already had a virologist on, and I used this platform to ask if, COVID, if the effects of COVID-19 can help with stopping smoking. So okay. I'm not here for seriousness. But what, what was the answer? What was the answer to that? Well, he doesn't Well, it already know. has. Well, it has, it has actually stopped me smoking. The taste and smell thing that I got, because we had COVID for a little while, um, has yeah. caused me to just hate the taste of cigarettes. And I even had, wow. I even had um, a bit of a terrible moment when I decided to go and buy cigarettes because I was like, right, I'm in dire need, I want to try this again. And it was horrific and I, I, I gave it away, I gave them away. And, and you just you just completely jacked it in? Just completely jacked it in since um, October. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, to be fair... Maybe, no, well, I was going to say maybe everyone should get COVID, but as we were talking about evolution earlier, we probably shouldn't because it gives the virus <laughs> a chance to mutate. Mm. But if you want to, if you want to quit smoking, go outside, lick a few old people, just see yeah. what happens. That's not, it. not that's not official George Soros advice, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, I we feel were, like George we were Soros would say that definitely, like lick a door handle, people <laughs> enjoy. Uh, we were annoyed because we we make daft YouTube videos of like tasting like weird. We used to get like Japanese. Uh, sweeties and like vegan stuff and just try them and see if it's yeah. better or whatever and uh, I stupidly we, we got a we got something that I didn't like the sound of I think it was a lemon crisp like a, a crisp. oh it was, it was sour plum crisps uh, chips yeah. yeah crisps yeah wow sour plum crisps yeah. weird and I, I stupidly made a joke saying uh, I could do with some COVID so that I don't taste this and then I got COVID like weeks four, later four weeks later or something so yeah. <clears throat> Karma, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> wow! Uh, but did did you try the sour plum sweets? After oh yeah, COVID? they were shit. Yeah, oh yeah, they were shit. Oh no, no, not after COVID. <laughs> not after COVID. No, During, no, no, no. Maybe before. Yeah. Sorry. We should have kept some. Should have kept some. To be fair, we didn't know we were yeah. going to have COVID. I don't know. That was part of the video as well. Yeah. Uh, aye. So serious conversation. Sorry, I will stay away. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any idea of why humans seemed to have evolved 
Brainily. Brainily. Sorry. Serious question, boy. <laughs> you told me. Um, I to couldn't stay think away. of the, I, I don't know the word. Intellectually? That would have been one better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Intellectually. Um, sure. Brainily. Amazing. <laughs> I guess the um, the thing there, right, is that, so, we're not like, okay, so you look at a lion, right, which is an apex predator, because it's fucking massive, right? Yeah. Like, if, if a lion wanted to eat you, there's nothing you can do about it. But what, what not what separates us from animals, because other animals can use tools, but what gave us an evolutionary advantage was our capacity to produce tools, our, our ability to cook meat, yeah. which means that like yeah. you're less likely to get sick from eating it and to like make spears and to communicate and work as a team in order to hunt bigger prey. Um, and because of that, you see in like really early hominins, which is the like group that all humans belong to, um, hominids, whichever, in really early humans, you see this like expansion in the size of the brain cavity and therefore we can assume their brains get bigger. And I, I guess that, yeah, that absolutely just comes down to that, that we managed to get around the fact that we're not that big. We're not that capable of like taking a beating. Like when you look at humans, they're fairly frail yeah, um, yeah. compared to like a bear. Um, but, but like, yeah, what separated us was our tool use. And then as time's gone on, the other thing that's made like increased our survival hugely from like, you look at what like cavemen, I guess the oldest they got was like 40 years old because normally you die of like cancer or an infection or something. Whereas we've then, obviously, we got to a point where we could develop medicines and we could start to help people who were unwell. And so they continue living for longer and therefore they continue breeding for longer up to a certain point, um, which is obviously, I guess, the menopause. Um, <clears throat> but because of that, things that help and improve survival before the menopause are going to increase your fitness, going to increase the number of children you have, and therefore they're going to be selected for. And one of those things is intelligence. Yeah. So, yeah. So do you think that because we've spent so long like fixing I don't, I don't know, fix but like treating ailments is is that gonna affect evolution in a good way or do you think it's gonna hurt it when it comes to us evolving? It's a really difficult question. Um because it it has a tendency to lean into like fascistic tendencies. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly that's exactly obviously what like the Nazis and a lot of the eugenicists from the early 20th century were saying they were saying like well now now we're letting these people survive and helping them survive well we're going to become stupid and we're going to become weak and um, <clears throat> there's very little evidence that that's actually the case but that's what they believed um, I think that what it comes down to is it's not that we've <clears throat> escaped from evolution because selection still exists sexually and it still exists in I guess perhaps intelligence because you know people with more money are more likely to whatever yeah. but um I, th I think that we've almost sidestepped it and rather than it being evolution it's now like we've developed all these treatments right that, that basically mean evolution is not necessarily a problem um and we've developed ways to like produce renewable energy and and find a workaround for the problems of evolution so I, I, I don't think it's a problem and I don't think it's going to really reduce our evolutionary potential because evolution will carry on happening in the background. Um, and if something is so awfully catastrophic that it reduces your fitness to zero, then it doesn't continue spreading um, throughout the population. So, yeah, I, I, I think and it, it's easy to make the argument that, oh, we're making the society and population weaker. But we've got to a point where that doesn't matter because 
even if that was true, it doesn't matter because we can support people yeah. and therefore we probably should. Well, I was thinking, and again, based on nothing, uh, that because we were already fixing a lot of things, I would give evolution a chance to evolve in other ways. Yeah. That that wouldn't have yeah. happened if we had been fixing things, you know? Absolutely. So rather than selecting for just raw, like, I don't know, resistance to, a, to like getting sick or your ability to run for longer from a predator, we're now at a point where evolution, or at least historically we've been at a point where evolution is probably selecting more for like intelligence and like our ability to solve problems and yeah. like compassion, right? So actually there's a really interesting hypothesis called the grandmother hypothesis, okay? Uh, and essentially this is a theory that states um, that women or men who look after their children's children, um, their genes will spread more throughout society. The reason for this being that if you look after your grandchildren, they're more likely to survive. And so there has probably been selection for like compassion and being caring and looking after people um, who are related to you or not related to you, but are like part of your community. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So, so I, yeah, you're right. I think there's, there has been the opportunity within like the scope of evolution to select for things that like build a more cohesive society because what makes us successful as a species is our ability to work together and to, to like form functional groups where different people specialize in different things. Well, going back to the attraction thing, briefly, uh, we've already seen mm-hmm. sort of a cultural shift where nerds are no longer bullied as much. Mm. They're like the hot people. It's hot to be a nerd now. You see it with like the Big Bang Theory and you, stuff. You say that, <laughs> but that's <laughs> because people on the Big Bang Theory aren't nerds. They're, a, they're Hollywood true. actors with a lot of money. Um, yeah. Similarly, the whole, I guess like the whole nerd culture, right, is has been appropriated uh, who would have thought this would happen by uh, the cool people who do like nerdy in a really like funky, attractive way mm. rather than when I was little, or I guess when you guys were little, when first, I, I was a nerd, I was on with awful glasses and the awful haircut right. and you didn't have quite as, as good a time as all of these cool TikTokers with their glasses with no, no lenses in them seem to be having right that, now. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But, but then you have people like Elon Musk and a lot of these uh, startup company guys who are and tech companies mm. and the, the, the know about uh, programming and stuff like that, and they seem to be cool, even if they're a bit more introverted than I would come across in, yeah. in some Instagram posts. Yeah, but he can afford hair replacement. I think that's really the difference, isn't it? <laughs> if Elon Musk looked like he looked at 25 now, I don't think he'd be doing quite as well. He wouldn't be with Grimes, with his child with a funny name. Um, yeah, I think there's a, yeah. There's a lot of... of merit in being very wealthy. I think that's the most beneficial good, thing you can point. be these yeah. days. The weird guy, Elon. So have you calmed down now, Stephen? Strange. I have, yes. I, was, uh, I had to take a break there because I was laughing at the word brainily that you made up. <laughs> yeah. um, childish, childish man. That's what we do on this podcast. I mean, it is a serious podcast. We are doing science month after all. We are mm-hmm. talking to scientists, hopefully once a week. We don't know yet because this is the fourth we've done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this at is least sometimes what we so you've, you've yeah, already least, done that at least once a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yes, so have you got any more questions? I don't right now. No, no. Right. Okay. Do you have anything else you would like to bring up? Is there anything else with uh, your research that you're interested in that you're you're expecting to find? Crikey. 
Well, I, I did. Uh, I guess you guys are sort of quite into music and stuff, right? Yeah, we do yeah. a hip hop podcast. Am I right in saying? You do a little, yeah. So I hear, um, literally here because it's a podcast. Um, but no, I, I did a, well a, a <laughs> uh, <laughs> far from it. But what what I do know is I did a, I did a, a really cool uh, project. I guess we can briefly touch on it, which is about like the evolution of evolutionary theory. Less so that being interesting, but more so actually what that stemmed from. It's a really cool project that my my supervisor worked on, which is about like the evolution of modern music. Okay. Um, and basically applying like traditional evolutionary theory and evolutionary pressures to cultural ideas. And in this case, song. Mm. Um, uh, and what they wanted to do was like, see whether there's like a, an evolutionarily best song, which I guess is sort of a bit like when you're on Spotify, right. And you listen to music you like, and then perhaps like, maybe that's like a mutation and then you do other music by that artist and maybe you find another artist and eventually you find like the optimal song, the best song like your yeah. absolute jam. Yeah. Um, so what these guys did was they like found a bunch of chords and like randomly stacked them all together. Um, and they had I don't know, several thousand people, hundred people uh, just go through and they go, like, I like this one. I don't like this one. And then once they got those like random stacks of chords, the ones people liked, they like randomly made them like have chordy sex together. Uh, and the chordy sex <laughs> produced like some like randomly shuffled chords uh, from their like parents. And they carried on doing this like, generation after generation after generation. And eventually they found this like the perfect evolutionarily best sexiest song <laughs> um and and take a gander at, at what what song it sounded like oh is that a real song uh, look it sounded like a real song yeah like how, how recent are we talking uh well, probably 90s okay. 90s Mumble number five. I bet it was something like Venga Boys or something like that. Like something like huge. I fucking wish it was Venga Boys. Was it what? Nokia theme tune. The Nokia ringtone. Oh, for God's sake. That's what it sounded like. That's horrific. Everybody loves that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We went in the completely wrong direction. Well, I I was going down the direction of thinking about music and like. Uh, sort of some of the most popular songs. I'm a DJ as well behind the scenes, um, or was. Yeah. Not allowed. So was illegal illegal yeah. still. Um, <laughs> but uh, like uh, again, anymore, yeah. I was trying to think of like really popular songs that people keep asking for a lot of the time, but nobody asked for the Nokia theme tune. So that never came. Maybe up. if you start slipping it into your set. Well, that's it. I, I think. There you go. Because I've always been looking <laughs> like different songs to add in. Uh, to different sets and yeah, stuff. So Nokia maybe the Nokia theme tune may come up and then I keep getting asked for it repeatedly. To be fair, there's a lot of psychology goes into DJing mm-hmm. because it's not just a case of put on songs and they'll dance. You have to really, you have to really to work them up yeah, to yeah, it. Because yeah. I, I never knew this until we started DJing together mm-hmm. that you, you really need to start slow and then slowly build them up because people get drunk at different paces yeah, yeah. and you can't just put on a, a big dance hit and then everybody's going to hit the dance floor it's well, you, a really a long process of going how are they are they are they happy yet mm-hmm. if they're not happy I'll put on another happy tune if they're ready to dance I'll put on a more dancey tune mm-hmm. there's a lot of psychology in it and again I, I don't know if it happens everywhere it's, it's particularly Scottish crowds like the more drunk they are like the better the, better the night's going to be yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you have to wait till about 9, 10 o'clock that's usually when everything kicks off yeah then you put the cha-cha slide and then then you're done. That's, that's your night's clear sailing for the rest on. of the night. That's the night. But if, if you build up and you you get to like the perfect drop and just slip mm-hmm. in the Nokia theme tune for for ten seconds, kill the mood. I've seen a bunch, and then you can reset. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of DJs doing that. Like they'll put on like a like a heavy drop tune, and then 
<laughs> the end, they like shift it to like it's raining men or something like that. Mm. It's great. It's great to watch. Classic. Classic show. People, Yoga. people when they're a bit drunk, a little bit drunk, love all that shit. The stuff that they would hate when it first came out, mm-hmm. but now it's been out a decade. That's like, it. oh, that's my jam. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's move on. And it's also a great because you can apply evolutionary theory to. I don't know if you've seen these. I'm assuming you have. Um, to like games like Super Mario and stuff. Have you seen these like machine learning? Yes. Evolution of things there. Yeah. Is this very similar to what you do as well? So it, it's it's not, but that that project, I guess, because it's software based, isn't it, rather in, than. Yeah, but th- that's the interesting thing, right? So when you look at machine learning, and there's a lot of machine learning people who, well, I don't. If people who do machine learning listen to your podcast today, now he's an idiot. But there's a point to it, like machine learning. Basically, you you train your model and you say this is like oh uh, this is a cat this is a dog this is a cat this is a dog mm-hmm. and then over time you can then give it more images and it will categorize it as cat dog cat dog and it gets better and better which is a bit like evolution right where generation after generation uh, after exposure to like a challenge if you survived that challenge then your genes are good and they're going to pass on so these machine learning models are sort of operate on on this like the same wavelength at least the same premise as evolution um, and so, yeah, with, with like all these games or like making music or whatever it is that these machine learning models do, it, it is that evolutionary theory. And, and evolution can really easily be applied to culture because it, or like cultural ideas, because the way humans work by like choosing something that's good and throwing away something that's bad very much operates in the same way as evolution. Like the YouTube algorithm, right? <clears throat> Which is probably the bane of you guys' existence as much as it's mine um, with your snack chats. Or whatever you whatever you call them, um, it, it's uh, yeah, it, it operates in the same fashion. Like, oh, people like this, therefore it's good. People don't like this, then screw it. It's not going to show up in YouTube search anymore. Um, and YouTube search is like the evolutionary pressure. Um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting premise, and it's something we're seeing happening a lot more now. Uh, as people are like, well, maybe this is a cool idea. Let's apply it to music. Let's apply it to uh, the science of ideas, or like actually, uh, my project was applying evolution to, like applying evolutionary theory. To the history of evolutionary theory so we, we looked at like every evolutionary paper published between 1857 just five years after darwin publishes on the origin of species and then 2017 we were like how have the ideas that have come about since then changed how have they like shaped the entire landscape of science um and just to work out like whether science advances steadily or whether there are like revolutions in ideas and which ideas are the ones that have like created new fields. So it's a really interesting promise, uh, premise and a very promising field as well. This like cultural evolution idea. Awesome. There, there was things that I forgot to talk about at the start because the rain threw me off. Um, there's apparently, I think Richard Dawkins was talking about it, how there was apparently quite a few things that Charles Darwin just, didn't understand about evolution. Yeah. What would they be? Is um, that like, is it integral parts of evolution or was it just details? Oh, hugely so. In that, So his idea was essentially that you have a population um, and you like apply uh, an evolutionary pressure. So for example, maybe that's like, I don't know, uh, the only food available are like cherries from taller trees. And therefore, individuals who were smaller wouldn't be able to reach the cherries, they'd starve to death and they'd die. And so the population would, over time, get progressively taller because only the tall ones can, like, eat and then they have tall babies and they have tall babies and so on and so forth. 
But the, the biggest thing that Darwin was missing and a big reason why the theory struggled for like its first 60, 70 years was it was like, well, okay, cool. This may happen. But what, what is it that's being inherited? Like, like, what is it that these like tall animals have that's making their, their babies tall? And so it wasn't until uh, Mendel who famously in like GCSE science, you learn about his peas being like wrinkled or smooth, um, which is, you know, poor guy having to put all that on display in front of a, a group of 40 boys at the age of 15. But um, essentially what he, we then discover is that, um, well, the reason that these peas do this is this idea of a gene, okay? Uh, or, or an alley or, or whatever you want to call it, but a gene. Uh, and once that was sort of forgotten, I think that happened in the 19th century. And then in the early 20th century, yeah, this group of scientists piece this genetic theory together with Darwin's theory and they go, oh, so this makes sense. We now know what it is that's being transmitted between generations and therefore okay. what it is that evolution's actually acting on. Uh, so that, that was Darwin's like biggest missing thing was that it's like, well, what is the unit of, of inheritance? Okay, so it was genetics he didn't understand. Basically, yeah, yeah, because genetics weren't, no one knew what genetics were at the time. There were a few, like, which is why there were other theories of uh, evolution, which, uh, like, for a good 40 years after Darwin publishes, 50 years after Darwin publishes, are being, like, equally spoken about. So there's, there's this idea of Lamarckism, which is that uh, an animal like a giraffe, the giraffe got tall because a long time ago it was a donkey, and the donkey had to stretch its neck for some, like, fruit in a tree. And because it stretched its neck, its neck got longer. Um, and that, that was equally popular and still spoken about and still written about in scientific literature until uh, this idea of genetics is paired with Darwin's theory. Right, okay. Because uh, I've seen a few videos of people thinking they've got a gotcha moment for somebody like Richard Dawkins mm. and saying, oh, well, mm. Charles Darwin was wrong about this. And he's like, aye, we fixed it. Like, it's, it's not... A, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if... If Darwin had got it right, I'd be out of a job. Like, <laughs> if Darwin knew absolutely everything, that'd be incredibly impressive to, you know, understand the entire 4.5 billion years of life on Earth um, in a lifetime. But, yeah, there's, there's so much we're still uncovering as we're starting to learn. We've learned about genetics. Now we know about epigenetics, which is how, like, your body decides which bits of your genes are going to be expressed. And then uh, on top of that, we found out, oh, well, epigenetics, you might be able to like pass them from like mother to, to child. And so we've got all of these other like aspects um, of, of how like evolution happens and how information is shared between generations that Darwin couldn't even have comprehend. They didn't know what DNA was when Darwin was around. They didn't know what DNA was when genes were first put forward. So, yeah, like we're, we're discovering more stuff every single day. And a final question. So, because you, you're you currently studying things that already exist, are you looking yeah. forward to hopefully one day finding a new species of a thing? Uh, I think it would be cool. Um, then the problem is, like, what what would I name it? And I guess it would be like, I don't know, BTN Media or something, you know, yes. whatever. Um, the brain will be <laughs> We support that. But, Finally, but it's like, I, I think it would be cool, but my, my interest isn't necessarily in like, my interest isn't necessarily in discovering new species, okay. but it's working out how they, how they came about, if that makes sense. Oh, right, okay. Mm -hmm. or, or like how new species could be made rather than 
like actually find them. Although I would like to go on go on holiday now to Malawi and like go diving and find new fish. Because frankly, I just need I need a fucking break. But um, <laughs> <laughs> what I love what I love is that you you seem to, I don't know if this is the full reason, but from what you've said earlier in the podcast, you seem to choose this because it was quicker evolving. And I think that's always annoyed me about evolution is that there's never a point. There's never like a specific point. Uh, Dawkins, the only biologist I know is Dawkins. So Dawkins explained mm, that. Bad one to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a point where a human is old, and a point where they're young. But no one ever defines the exact point where somebody becomes old. You just become old, and that's sort of like evolution. There was never a first human. It was just sort of there was pre-humans and then there was humans, and that's just the way it goes. And that's always annoyed me that there's never that line, and it seems that maybe that annoys you as well, and that's why you've chosen somebody that evolves quicker. It, it's a hard one. This is the thing, but when you ask me about like what is a species, it's like at what specific moment in time does something go from being like ape to human, or like yeah. uh, whatever old human to human? Because there isn't there isn't that line because like well we know that we all have like Neanderthal DNA. Some of us more than others, based on where you're from in the world. Europeans have like a, a lot more because that's where the Neanderthals were. Oh, right, okay. But it's joke. like, well, we treat these as like separate species, but clearly they could reproduce, and like that's how their DNA is in us. And and yeah, th- there is this problem of like it does become difficult when all of these lines don't exist. Now, yeah, the benefit of these fish is well, similarly, the lines are really blurred between them because they're really, really closely related. But at the very least, you can see almost evidence of evolution because actually in one of these lakes, like evolution is happening before our eyes. There's, there's this one species which um, has a range where it can be found really deep in this lake and it can be found near the surface. And the ones that you find near the surface are a different color to the ones that you find really deep um, for like camouflage reasons because as you go deeper into, into the yeah. water, like the color balance changes and and so like we are watching right in front of us now these two species separate from each other which is crazy like you, you just don't see that um and i think it becomes so much more tangible like so much easier to grasp as a problem when you can go oh like actually this is this is happening this isn't something we're not talking about like oh humans evolved millions of years ago and then two hundred thousand years ago we were like anatomically modern we say like we looked like we do now you go, oh, actually, like right in front of us now, these two groups of fish are becoming different groups of fish. And that's, yeah, that's an amazing thing to be able to experience because it helps make everything make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if, if, you, uh, if you're interested in science, I, I run a podcast called Sit Down With a Scientist, lives where podcasts live. Um, or uh, by the time this is out, there will be another podcast out called Live, Laugh, Lovecraft, which is a Lovecraftian Dungeons and Dragons science podcast. So if you're into tabletop role playing, uh, give it a listen. It should should be out by then, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and otherwise I, I live on Twitter at SJ underscore Mackay.